Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDUS AM 1060. As always, you can follow along with us online at KDUS1060.com and with the KDUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It's a Thursday. It's October 5th. We have a game day. We also have reaction to a sweep, multiple sweeps in Major League Baseball. We'll dive into all of that here on the program that you can listen to up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Chime in as well. 602-260-1060 is the number. Calls at 1030 and 1115 today. But let's get things started here with the poll questions. And we'll start with the KDUS1060.com poll question in regards to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Rank your level of surprise regarding the D-backs elimination of the Brewers high moderate or low are the options and the masses are on the high side of things at 67% of the vote moderate sitting at 33% certainly surprised the betting market now not surprising the first game they were the Brewers were heavy favorites with you know Burns against Brandon Fox but what did surprise me yesterday is that uh the game opened at roughly the the Diamondbacks were you know the Brewers to put it easier to explain uh, roughly a 125 favorite in that game yesterday. The thing that did surprise me is the Brewers got bit up to like 140, 145 in some of the betting markets before first pitch. Uh, so that's the game that Gallon was starting, and basically the betting market was betting against Gallon. Uh, so that surprised me. Obviously struggled in the first inning with the 32 pitches, but after that he made it through a five shutout innings after that and made it through six innings total and. You know, the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, eliminated the Brewers. And, you know, the Brewers had uh, you know, pretty much everything go against them that could go against them. And the Diamondbacks were just the better team. We'll certainly get into more about the Diamondbacks here momentarily. We'll answer the question in its entirety as well around 1130. Still plenty of time for you to cast your vote. Uh, KDOS1060.com. Flipping this on over to Twitter at KDOSAM1060. Bob had a conversation with Zach Pearson with BearReport.com talking about the winless Chicago Bears and what happens tonight uh, for Thursday night football. Who do you have? Bears plus five and a half or Commanders minus five and a half in the vote? Significant on the commander side of things at 88.9%. 11.1% is on the Bears. Twitter at KDOS AM 1060. And this kind of, I don't know how many of these people are actually part of the betting market, uh, but when, since we actually used this number this morning, early this morning, like at 6 a.m., this number has gone from six, and there's a bunch of six and a halfs that have been popping up within the last hour. Uh, at least two or three in Las Vegas, in fact, at very high-volume betting shops. So lots of money in the last few hours here on the Commanders, so much so that I tried to do just a quick search to see if anybody got added to the injury report or something was up with the Bears, and uh, I can't find anything that would reflect a you know, betting shift like that. So I guess it's just the general public who decided... Okay, it's a few hours before game time. We're going to get, you know, slam some more money on the commanders at this point. 
Did you bring up with Zach at all uh, whether Matt Eberflus is going to be let go if uh, they start 0-5? Not specifically, but the Bears, as he pointed out, and I know having lived there and worked there for several years, they have never, and I mean never, not one time, fired a head coach with uh, during a season. And I think that has a lot to do with the McCaskey family. We'll answer this question on Twitter at KDUS AM 1060, also around 1130 today. As mentioned here, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they get it done. They sweep the wild card round and advance to the NLDS, doing so with a 5-2 to two win over the Brewers yesterday. Again, the Diamondbacks fell behind in an early deficit, rallied back to get the victory here. Zach Allen, we'll start with the pitching side of things here. He gave up two runs in the first Got out of a couple of hits in third, ended up going six innings, five hits, two runs, three walks, four strikeouts, and the bullpen ended up being clean with some stressful moments, though. You had Ryan Thompson, uh, one inning pitched on eight pitches. Kevin Ginkle, a third of an inning pitch. He did give up three hits, but then Andrew Salfrank got the Diamondbacks out of the eighth. Paul Seawald, he hit a batter. He gave up a double to Yelich, but ended up getting the save for the pitching side of things for the Diamondbacks yesterday. Yeah, I thought uh, I was a little surprised that Ginkle actually pitched yesterday after roughly the 30 pitches the day before. Uh, and uh, he you know, failed to retire three of the four hitters that he faced. And uh, the scoreboard kind of dictated the situation that he didn't give up a run because they held the runner at third because obviously the Diamondbacks had a three-run lead at that point. And that was the right move by the Brewers to hold the runner at third base you know, considering the score and the time of the game, etc., but Genkel was very fortunate that he didn't give up a run. Pretty much in any other situation, he would have allowed at least one run after uh, failing to retire three of the four hitters. So that was good. But, uh, I mean, they did a good job. Um, you know, they gave up a few hits along the way, and uh, so it wasn't totally a clean performance. Uh, you know, clean innings are usually when you have an inning without giving up any hits or any base runners. Uh, so, but... Uh, and, you know, Seawald kind of made it a little hairy even in the ninth inning last night. From a hitting side of things here, Freddie Peralta was dealing. Then there was that solo home run by Alec Thomas in the fifth to cut it to two to one. And then in the sixth is when the floodgates certainly opened up for the Diamondbacks bats. Perdomo got things started with a walk. Then Corbin Carroll with a double, followed by a Marte single to bring them home. A pitching change, and the Diamondbacks were still able to increase the lead, packing on two more runs. The Perdomo walk, I thought, was the key to the whole game. Uh, number nine hitter, and he's done this a few times this year. He's hit length a lot here, certainly late in the season, or really the second half of the season. And Craig Council, in his post-game press conference, immediately mentioned a Perdomo walk. Uh, and you know, I thought I had the opinion that I thought that was the key to the game before Council mentioned it. So is this kind of confirmation that maybe my brain is working properly? Uh, when Council brought it up without even being asked about it. Council brought that up. Uh, so that started the whole thing. They got pretty fortunate on the Car Corbin Carroll double. That was a broken bet play, uh, double that I'm not real sure how Santana did not you know, field that ground ball. There was some maybe funky uh, English off that ball because it was a broken bat. But uh, you know Santana, who's actually become a pretty good first baseman, usually sucks that up. Instead, it goes down the right field line for a double. And then, uh, of course, after that, Marte, who has been very clutch for the last... They had had a whole lot of uh, clutch hitting 
uh, in the, really since the All-Star break. But yeah, he's, uh, I think, delivered more than most in that situation. So we got the two-run single. And then Pham, who has been, for the most part, really good with the Diamondbacks. If he doesn't get a hit uh, or doesn't even reach base, he's told him has these one-pitch at-bats, which actually, actually I think has been the Diamondbacks' biggest problem. Uh, since the All-Star break, when their def- when their when their you know, production and their offensive numbers have been down in pretty much every area, uh, but Fam usually you know he hangs in and has you know, gives a good at bat and gets three or four pitches per at bat and uh, so forth. But you know his he got the run scoring single after the uh, Marte two run uh, two run single. So he's been really good and uh but once again uh, you mentioned it and i thought it at the time and the fact that council just immediately went to the perdomo walk i thought that was the key to the whole game uh absolutely and just in general i mean looking at corbin carroll and what he's been able to do you touched on Marte and the timely hitting and obviously the solo shot uh after corbin carroll on tuesday with the home run and then yesterday uh with a walk in the timely single but also corbin carroll and his uh start to his playoff career he was really good a home run on tuesday he drew two walks yesterday a double in a couple of hits so that's kind of what you need to see when we were talking about and having the conversation leading into this where the bats runners in scoring position had been silent yeah and it's still been really bad i mean uh, even you know this you know obviously it was horrendous on tuesday night uh they had very few opportunities yesterday with runners in scoring position because obviously if you get no hit for the first four plus innings of the game that's not a whole lot of chances uh, so there's that, but, uh, the thing with Carol, if we look back now, I'd be curious uh, to my knowledge, he hasn't been asked about this and, you know, I watch as much of the post game and, you know, press conferences as I possibly can, but you know, remember he went down with a shoulder problem in July and you know, he had a stretch where he was bad in July. And I wonder how much of that was because he was playing through the shoulder thing and he probably should not have been playing. Uh, For the Diamondbacks here, with the win, that means they move on to the NLDS and they have a date with the Dodgers. Game one is Saturday, 6.20 p.m. on TBS. In all likelihood, it'll be Merrill Kelly getting the start. Um, We've talked about it before that Merrill Kelly struggles against the Dodgers. He's 0-11 with a 5.49 ERA in 16 appearances against the Dodgers. I'm not sure if it's official on the counter side of things, but I did see some for game one listed for the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw. I would think that's what they're going to do. I don't think we're really going to find out. I don't think the Dodgers have an official, you know, they baseball did not count on a, you know, you know, a dark day. It's supposed to be you a know, dark being no games today on this particular schedule. So there were no teams that were on by this week that were scheduled for media, you know, basically, you know, media time day or you know some kind of uh yeah press conference time because they just assume that there'd be games today maybe i'm wrong about that but i don't think there's any uh, media access today so i think we're uh, officially i don't think we're going to find out tomorrow whether kershaw is or whoever starting game one for the dodgers you know the other thing about this schedule is they get sunday off uh which means that gallon would be in line on his regular rest to pitch game two on monday And that's to the Diamondbacks' benefit. There's an off day on Monday. There's an off day on Thursday again. 
Uh, so and uh, so that's that's uh, the, the schedule itself. The way that this is set up, best of five series. Remember, uh, best of five series. I think the schedule really sets up for a team, whether it's the Diamondbacks or maybe Texas. If you take a look at the American League, that might have some questionable starting pitching or non depth in the starting pitching situation. I think that that benefits those teams specifically. If I'm uh, remembering correctly, it seems like the American so all four divisional games play on Saturday. Then, if I remember the schedule correctly, then the American League teams play on Saturday, and the National League teams play on or I'm sorry, play on Sunday, and the National League teams play on Monday. So that point, that's great news for the Diamondbacks being able to have Zach Gallen regular rest uh, set to for a game two, and that you just have to hope that Merrill Kelly. We talked a little bit about some command issues toward the end of the season finding ways to get it done though even though they haven't been the strongest of pitching command performances uh and then hopefully trying to figure out a way to solve these uh woes that he has with the dodgers yeah he does uh you mentioned those numbers with the dodge against the dodgers and we're going to hear about that plenty in the next you know, couple of days before saturday i will also expand this i think that kelly's had command issues uh, more than periodically the entire season. I mean, he's had some dominant stretches, but it seems like almost every start that he's had this year, there's been an inning or two where he just kind of uh, loses control of the strike zone, and that you know that's a big that's a big thing. You know, control in the strike zone, as opposed to somebody who's wild all the time, are two different things entirely. Uh, and he just kind of used you know, he's cruising along, and then. Wow, what happened there? And you know, sometimes he's gotten it back during the same game and recovered. Some games, it's kind of blown up on him and blown up on them. So inconsistent. I know he's got some really good numbers. He's had some really good games. You certainly want him out there in a game like this, just because of they don't have really all. You know, partly because they don't have any alternatives, quite frankly. Uh, but you know, the fact that he's. He's been far from a consistent, you know, you know, I wouldn't say sure thing for almost any starting pitcher in baseball these days. But uh, you, if you look at his numbers, you would have just figured, man, he's been really solid all season long. But I don't think that's the case. Uh, we'll certainly be getting into much more of this uh, as the show unfolds particularly answering a, a poll question, kdos1060.com, in regards to the Diamondbacks and the sweep of the Brewers. On the other side of the break, though, we will get into the other contests around Major League Baseball uh, with the Rangers and the Rays, uh, as well as Blue Jays and the Twins and the Phillies and the Marlins, and then we'll set the scene as well uh, for what's ahead starting on Saturday. All happening here on KDOS AM and 60 in the Extra Point. Bob Kemp, Kay Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Hey, Phoenix, Doug Gottlieb here. I'm bringing the best sports talk weekdays. You. 1 to 3 p.m. right here on KDUS AM 1060.
1023 right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Continuing the Major League Baseball conversation following the Diamondback dancing past the Brewers yesterday. This is a little interesting statistic. When it comes to sweeps, that's what happened yesterday across the board in Major League Baseball. But how unique are sweeps in sports? According to Opta Stats, there have been 245 instances all time where there were at least four series in a given road, a given round of the Major League Baseball, NBA, or NHL playoffs. This happens to be the first time that all ended in sweeps. I'll certainly give this a caveat, though, that it's likely easier to sweep in the Major League Baseball wildcard round since it's the best of three. But still, that's pretty darn uh, impressive that this statistic lasted 245 instances before we had uh, all sweeps occur. So let's start here with the Rangers. Also, we've had this round for two years. So, I mean, so bring that back when we get to basketball and hockey or whatever. I mean, I think it's... I'm sorry, but I think it's completely irrelevant in this baseball situation right now. All right. The Rangers complete the domination over the Rays 7-1. to one. Zach Eflin had been so good for the Rays, but the Rangers got to him. Uh, five innings, eight hits, five runs, two walks, three strikeouts, and two home runs for Eflin here. We were certainly wondering yesterday about Nathan Avaldi and like who would show up for Nathan Avaldi because of some injury concerns that happened to him this season. The splits of how good he was before the injury, time off on the injured list, coming back off off of the injured list and just the ERA and the ability to churn up innings. We saw the Nathan Avoldi from the beginning of the season, six and two thirds, six hits, one run, eight strikeouts and 98 pitches. Yeah. And he's been unbelievable in the postseason. whether he's starting for the Red Sox or the Rangers, he's now started eight games in the postseason in his career. His teams are seven and one in those games. The Rays, it's just been an awful season. Averaging, you know, they started 13-0. and zero, And I know, you know awful people might think I'm being harsh there, but I'm sorry. It's been awful. Certainly the ending was awful, and it really went to downhill from the 13-0 and zero start. Jeffrey Springs at that point was looking like the best pitcher in Major League Baseball. By the end of April, he was out for the season and headed for Tommy John surgery. They lost three other starting pitchers during the season, two season-ending injuries, and we talked many times of, you know, they're not going to really, how do they match up in the playoffs? Well, we thought they might match up in the playoffs in this round because the Rangers pitching and stuff, even their starting pitching, was somewhat questionable. But, uh, you know, we didn't expect the Rays, who were a really good defensive team, uh, for several years running to be inept defensively. Uh, they had four errors in the first game. They had one charged error yesterday, which certainly should have been at least two and maybe three. Uh, but for whatever reason, the official score opted to not give guys errors when they should have. You know, Josh Lowe in right field, uh, you know, middle infield situation where they had confusion of who was supposed to catch the ball and they ruled that a hit. Uh, but they, they completely fell apart. You know, they went from a 13 and zero start. 99 regular season wins. They scored one run in two playoff games, and their defense was just like, uh, you know, they'd never, you know, fielded the ground ball before. I mean, it was awful. 
the Rangers, on the other hand, you mentioned Evaldi. You know, they got the Jordan Montgomery seven innings the first day, and uh, they really didn't have to rely on their bullpen, which is what I'm assuming they would prefer, that they don't have to do that in the next round against the Orioles. Uh, but uh, they were clearly the superior team, and all this nonsense about how, you know, what happens at the end of the regular season, you know, this momentum thing, which is another bogus word when we get to baseball, and it drives it's driven me crazy for 50 years or however long I've been, you know, I think, with some level of intelligence paying attention to baseball. It doesn't matter what happened the day before. More times than not, it does not make any difference. And the fact that Rangers blew the division last week in Seattle, and I'd listen to all this crap, and I'm sure they think exactly the same thing. They had to listen to all this crap about, well, they blew the division. Now they uh, go all the way from Seattle to Tampa, which is like the you know one of the longest you know geographic possibilities in baseball uh, for the playoffs. Uh, it didn't bother them at all. Uh, they took care of business, and good for them. Uh, the Rays have, by the way, now in the last three years, lost seven consecutive playoff games. Yeah, the struggles there certainly to just get runs on the board for the Rays in the playoffs, as you chronicled there. Conversely, what do you make of the Rangers and their at-bats and uh, the players that are making those at-bats? Well, they were one of the best one of the best hitting teams. In fact, for the majority of the season, they were the best hitting team in many statistical categories in Major League Baseball. They faded in that last month of the season offensively and several other categories. Uh, but uh, not that surprised. And quite frankly, they didn't have to do a whole lot of situational hitting in this series because, you know, really this series was more, and I don't want to take away from what the Rangers did because they clearly were the better team, but it is almost impossible to be as inept as the Rays were at the plate and especially in the field. They just handed runs to the opposition, and you do that in the postseason – and uh, a large percentage of the time, you are eliminated really quickly. And especially if it's a best two out of three, you're done in two days. The Twins swept the Blue Jays. 2 nothing was the score yesterday. It happens to be the first playoff series win for the Twins since 2002. We talked about how long it's been since the Twins uh, won a playoff game yesterday. A series win a little bit longer for them from 2002. Sonny Gray, five innings, five hits, two walks, six strikeouts, 85 pitches. And uh, Carlos Correa, he's pretty good, right? Uh, he drives in the first run in the fourth, and then he gets things started to turn a double play and get out of a bases loaded jam in the sixth well he's had a terrible season quite frankly carlos correa as far as his batting average it was you know 220 area uh, he did produce some runs on a team that doesn't score much and you know the twins certainly didn't score they scored five runs in two games and this you know they won both games uh this, you know, these two series, the first one we just talked about now, this one reminds me more of the NFL than it does Major League Baseball. And uh, teams, I think, more lost these series than won them. Uh, the Blue Jays, uh, once again, their situational hitting, which has been a problem all season long, was awful in these two games. And then they just were ignorant. Uh, and I think that's a proper word, stupid or ignorant, whichever word you'd like to use whether it be John Schneider in the dugout, who I've questioned ever since he got the job, and uh, you know, and also just the, the, one of the dumbest, and I'm not exaggerating here in, at all, one of the dumbest base running plays 
and just mindless base running plays I have ever seen in the postseason by Vladimir Guerrero yesterday to end the inning with, you know, basically it was, you know, Bichette was up. There's runners on second and third, and, you know, it's a 2 nothing game, and he gets picked off second base in the inning. Uh, so it just the stupidity of the uh, of the of the Blue Jays, and I didn't trust them for two years. And these are you know, specifically reasons that I've talked about for two years why I did not trust the Jays. You mentioned Vlad Guerrero there uh, with the silly base running, but how about just? what he did at the plate it just uh with a 143 average in these two games uh but you would expect a little bit more from him right you do but i mean it's a two-game sample my god i mean you know the greatest hitters of all time barry bonds didn't have a good playoff history in his pittsburgh days that got better when he was in san francisco but it's a short series Rarely do I go into the uh, bats with a hitter. I mean, you want those guys to come through because they're expected to, they're paid to do so, and so forth. But, you know, that term small sample size, I think, is overused in sports a lot. But I think it more applies in the baseball playoffs in a short series than any other stat. Moving on to the Phillies, crushing the Marlins 7-1 to yesterday. Aaron Nola was dealing seven innings. Three hits, one walk, three strikeouts, 88 pitches. Uh, the scoring for the Phillies got started there in the third. Well, for years I've been using the phrase you know, on all sports, the varsity against the JVs or the freshman team or whatever. Uh, this was just a complete mismatch in every humanly possible way. There was uh, maybe one second in the seventh inning when Alvarado got the strikeout of Gurriel in game one. That was the only at-bat in this entire series that I thought for a second that maybe the Marlins have a chance to do something. They were completely outmatched in every phase. Uh, the Marlins were fortunate, quite frankly, to make the playoffs. They had to, you know, had, you know just have, they have to have six teams in the postseason for each league. So, you know, they weren't the last seed, as it turned out. But they were clearly the... Uh, you know, I don't. I didn't say this on Monday. I don't think said this on Monday. I should have wish I had said this on Monday, but it seemed to me before the playoffs started, at least I thought about saying this, that they were the worst team of the six teams that were in the postseason playing this week. On the other side of the break, we'll dive into the matchups now for the uh, LDS series with the American League and the National League. So we'll do that on the other side of the break. If you'd also like to chime in as well, feel free to do so. 602-260-1060 is the number. We'll take your calls now and talk to you on the other side of the break. 602-260-1060. It is the extra point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports, more baseball talk coming up next. SAM 1060 is the home to the Dan Patrick Show, the Doug Gottlieb Show, and Sports Map Radio. Catch all the sports here on AM 1060. 
Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. It's Thursday, October 5th. Bob Camp, Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today as we typically do. Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays continuing our Major League Baseball conversation. If you'd like to chime in, feel free to do so. 602-260-1060 is the number. Certainly you can interrupt us and we'll get to your phone calls. Uh, so here's what we know for what's happening in the American League Divisional Series. You have the Texas Rangers going up against the Orioles. That'll be a Saturday start, 10 a.m. first pitch on FS1. Uh, so you have what what transpired with Nathan Avaldi being able to be dominant, uh, not having to get to the bullpen as much in this series that they just wrapped up. So that's great news for the Rangers here. The Orioles, they come in with not a lot of experience in the postseason here. A lot of homegrown players uh, you have on the other side of things with the Rangers, Bruce Bochy coming in to uh, kind of right this ship. And in, a, in some ways for the Rangers, we're going all in with the moves to get to Grom. He's obviously not part of what's going on with his uh, elbow situation. You have Max Scherzer, unclear if he's going to be back for the postseason. So there's a lot of, uh, I guess, experience versus lack of experience and some unknowns with some key players. Yeah, and I'm going to be pretty much uh, non-committal you know, on any of these series right now. I think there's just way too many pitching situations that we have no idea what's up whether it be Scherzer in this series, whether it be John Means for the Orioles in this series, who did come back and pitch some at the end of the regular season. Is he part of their playoff rotation? I assume he's on the roster, but I don't even know that. I think we'll find that uh, most likely tomorrow for these things. For just this series specifically, but the, whether it's the, the two guys I just mentioned, whether it's Max Freed as far as Atlanta goes, there are just way too many questions that I don't have the answers to, and I'm not going to make a commitment to really any of these series right now until we get some of these questions answered before, hopefully tomorrow and definitely before Saturday. You know, we both were on the side of things when we were discussing the Diamondbacks in that uh, how they ended the regular season really had no bearing on what to expect in the playoff series. So if we kind of take that particular mindset that it's playoff baseball, uh, there's a whole lot of new mental strategies into all of this. Do you kind of apply similar things to the Orioles being so uh, unfamiliar with postseason baseball and uh, kind of this ascension here to winning the American League and being where they're at right now, maybe a tiny bit ahead of schedule. Does any of that factor into what they can do in the playoffs? Not to me, because uh, they play with uh, for being a young team with an extremely high baseball IQ. I'll just flip this. I just We talked about the Marlins. I mean, they were a team that was not ready for prime time. Uh, they had they have a very young roster also. They had some dudes that you know, in prime situations when they actually had a chance to come up with big hits against the against the Phillies that were up there hacking at first pitches. Zach, you know, Chisholm comes to mind. He's trying to hit a home run in every bat. So I think that it's just a series-to-series, team-to-team question, and I don't think that there's any generality that can be thrown into whether an inexperienced team is ready or not. I don't think it's, uh, I think it's just different from team-to-team, and I don't think you really know until you see the team. I, it, 
Took me about an inning, literally an inning, well, really two innings with Zach Wheeler against the Marlins the other night, and granted, Wheeler was dealing, but the Marlins really helped him out the first two innings of that series, 10 pitches in 10 pitches. They made it easier for Wheeler because they were so anxious and inexperienced and so forth, so that's the negative. But the Orioles, the big, the, the thing that's impressed me the most is for young players and a young team, they play with an extreme high baseball IQ. Uh, the Twins and the Astros, they'll get things started Saturday, 1.45 p.m. on FS1. Uh, you'd have to think that Justin Verlander would be in line to get things started for the Astros here. The Twins still uh, trying to figure out what they'll be doing. When it comes to the Astros, though, uh, the experience that they have, uh, but there's been some players, and, and certainly what comes to mind to me would be a Fran Valdez, who you have talked a lot about with his pitching and just the inconsistencies that he's had throughout the season. Yeah, and I'm sure, uh, as close to sure as I can be, that whenever their season's over, whether they're holding up the World Series trophy again or whether they get eliminated in this round, we're going to find out that there's been some kind of injury situation with him. However, this is the one series that I'm fairly certain that I'm not going to be changing my mind on anything here. I don't think the Twins are very good as far as a you know, playoff-level team. I know they just beat the Jays, but the Jays lost that series more than the Twins won it. I didn't see anything from the Twins in that series, quite frankly, that makes me think that you know, this is a team that has you know, postseason staying power. And I would be really, really surprised if the Astros do not win this series rather easily. Uh, then you have the Phillies at the Braves Saturday, 3.07 p.m. on TBS. Obviously, these two teams know each other really well. You touched on it a bit about what is the status of Max Freed for the Braves. Uh, Phillies playing some good baseball. The Braves obviously were completely dominant this season. Yeah, and just because, you know, the Phillies are hot now and so forth, and you got the Freed situation, Charlie Morton is not going to be pitching at all in this series for Atlanta. Uh, there is zero chance I'm going to have any action in this series. It's still, you know, five games. It's, you know, still a, quote, short series. Uh, so usually I bet series prices more than game to game in the postseason. And, uh, you know, not, there's – zero chance on betting on this to start the series and i can't imagine a, a scenario i'll have a penny on this series at any point of the series in any game even in game betting and finally we touched on it a bit here with the diamondbacks advancing they will get their series started against the dodgers in la saturday 6 20 p.m on tbs and obviously these two clubs know each other really well also uh the dodgers and how they have had success over the Diamondbacks. That's true, even though I think that that's kind of uh, irrelevant to, to some extent because they played like eight games the first two weeks of the season. And then they played five games against each other the rest of the season. And uh, you know, both rosters are wildly different now than they were in April. Uh, the Dodgers have lost a ton of pitchers since then. Uh, the Diamondbacks, you know, look, just look at their – their, their bullpen, you know, they're using guys you know, the last two days that, you know, three guys that were in AAA like a month and a half ago. Uh, you know, Thompson was released by the Rays like last month, and those are three of their high-leverage relief pitchers, and that just shows you 
good for the Diamondbacks to get the most out of these guys, but it also just shows you what kind of roster turnover they've had from the bullpen and for the better part of things. I mean, obviously those guys have performed very well here towards the end of the season, but, uh, you know, and rarely, quite frankly, do I put any regular season stock into what's going to happen in the postseason as far as a season series and a regular season. And that's even more so this year because the schedule is much different than it has been with the 13 games against division opponents according as opposed to 19 games against division opponents that we had in years past. So I think the fact that you know we didn't in the, in a lot of these series and especially with the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers, they the, the division games weren't backloaded towards the end of the season. So you know I, I keep hearing it, well, they won the season series. I don't care. You know, that was the one thing, you know, if you were going against uh, uh, the Diamondbacks-Brewers series, they played seven games, but they didn't play a game after the middle of June. So who cares about the season series? The other thing for the Dodgers here, obviously moving forward, they will not be getting Julio Urias back on the roster, so they're going to be reliant upon you know Clayton Kershaw, young pitcher Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, I get to keep saying his name, uh, and also <laughs> at the trade deadline with Lance Lynn and, and hoping that he can continue that fountain of youth. Well, I assume Pepio is going to be on the roster, but I don't think we know that for sure, uh, unless I miss something. Uh, so I mean, he was in the rotation towards the end of the year, but he is, uh, I think, don't think there's been a stretch of, you know, more than three or four weeks, the entire year that he's been on the roster for that entire time span. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a lot of question marks there for the Dodgers heading into things, just starting pitching wise. And it's not, I, I guess, uh, the same feeling that you have about a, Do- a Dodgers team heading into the playoffs. Oh, I totally agree with that. No question. I actually thought the Brewers before the Woodruff injury, which we didn't know about until Monday, uh, had the best chance to beat the the Braves in the postseason, even ahead of the Phillies and definitely ahead of the Dodgers. But, uh, you know, the Dodgers, are you know, their offense is so good. Their defense actually is much better, quite frankly. At least in my opinion, I don't really give a damn if the metrics back this up or not. But, you know, I think I have a – Really keen eye for defense. They're you know, far more efficient than some of these dumbass metrics. The metrics told me that the Blue Jays had one of the best defenses in baseball. I watched them on a nightly basis almost, and they suck on defense. Uh, so, But the Dodgers, to me, are much better defensively than this year than they have been in the last two or three years. But their starting pitching, obviously, not as good. Their bullpen, which was spectacular last season, not nearly as good this year with roughly the same dudes, even though the Diamondbacks' bullpen at the end of the year, very good. The Dodgers' bullpen was also better towards the end of the season, so maybe I should pay more attention to what happened in September as far as the bullpens go. Once again, uh, Saturday is when these LDS series get started. The Rangers at the Orioles, Saturday, 10, 10 a.m. FS1. The Twins at the Astros, Saturday, 1.45 p.m. FS1. Phillies at Braves, Saturday, 3.07 p.m. TBS. And the Diamondbacks facing the Dodgers in L.A., Saturday, 6.20 p.m. on TBS. We wrap up our number one of this Thursday, October 5th edition of Extra Point on the other side of the break. Bob Kemp, Kayla Mortelar with you up until noon today as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays and Fridays. One more remaining in hour one next.
Interact with Bob Kim's poll question on KDUS1060.com. That's KDUS1060.com. And while you're there, check out Bob Kim's online at KDUS1060.com. Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, shifting our attention to the National Football League. And we were monitoring the pup list for several different teams and players. And one of those players happens to be Jonathan Taylor with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, You know, he was designated off of the pup list. So just in general, you have three weeks from the time that you get activated off the pup list to eventually be put onto the active roster and get your season started. We'll continue to monitor that particular status in regards to Jonathan Taylor. But it happens to be the first time uh, in quite some time that Jonathan Taylor met them local media of some of the quotes that I'm seeing here. If somebody wasn't committed, they wouldn't be here. I'm here is what Jonathan Taylor has said today. Almost learned rather here. You could read words, but I wish I'd heard him say that because that could be a different tone, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm not sure it could be a sarcastic tone or you get maybe a sarcastic thought process listening to him. So I'm not sure how he actually said that, but that's, uh, I think uh, maybe his agent got to him also since <laughs> said, here's what you're going to say and uh, go ahead and, you know, maybe the, I, I would imagine there's some kind of rehearsal process at that point <laughs> of uh, here's what I want you to say and say it to me and I'll let you know if that's what I want you to say and how I want it to be heard. Uh, type thing so we'll see I think the biggest question for me about Jonathan Taylor and we mentioned this briefly yesterday where does he go if he actually gets traded at this point because the three teams I remember the most mentioned are Miami which has a surplus of running backs now A-Chan and uh, and he clearly seems to be the number one guy now Uh, so there's that Uh, so I think he's not going there Uh, you know was the Packers were mentioned and I don't think that that's a particularly good situation. And I'm guessing Taylor doesn't want to go to the Packers because their offensive line's missing their two best offensive linemen. And Bakhtiari might be out for the entire season. So that's out. And then the Bears were mentioned. And their offensive line isn't that good and healthy. And now they're without their arguably their two best starting offensive linemen. And they're looking, they're going to actually, if they're going to use the baseball term, they're going to be sellers at the trade deadline more than buyers. So I don't have any idea where he ends up. You know, speaking of these trades, the NFL here, obviously the trade deadline uh, has yet to hit. I think it's, what, October 31st or something along those lines. Uh, But historically in the NFL, we haven't seen in-season blockbuster trades. That's more left for the NBA. Do you think that if a Jonathan Taylor happens to be moved and it becomes this blockbuster type situation, that this is something that the NFL actually wants? Or do they want to try to avoid these sorts of in-season moves i have no idea that's an excellent question i actually think it happens more in major league baseball over the years than it has even in the nba but uh yeah i, I have no idea um i would uh, you know the old any publicity is good publicity thing even though the last couple of years we've had some blockbuster trades obviously mccaffrey last year the best best example of that that's 100 percent true i was just kind of thinking to myself that the nfl like to 
uh, certainly be a part of your 12-month calendar and trades in the offseason allow that to keep you at the forefront of NFL topics, whereas in-season yeah. trades, we're already talking about the games, so they don't need any added help, right? <laughs> I think one of the reasons we've had less trades in the NFL in the regular season is because teams and agents had not figured out how to manipulate the salary cap as much as they do now until the last year or two. Interesting point there. We'll get into more NFL on the other side of the break. Uh, Air Cardinals quarterback Josh Jobs met the media yesterday. Some takeaways from him. I also have some Joe Burrow stats to get into as the Cardinals are hosting the Bengals. Hour two is next.